Uh, I want to talk about love today. Our series is called Pillow Talk, Five Secrets of Sex and Love, and today we're just going to talk about love. Uh, as I was working on this series, there were two of my favorite songs from the 80s. It just kept coming back to me. One you heard already this morning was the old Huey Lewis song, Power of Love. Love it. We know love has power, don't we? Um, for all of us who are in relationships or who are married, um, you, you know something that I'm going to say is true before I get into it. Usually the line that marks the difference between a casual relationship and a serious relationship is at some point somebody says, I love you. And from that point on, we got something serious going on, at least if that person means what they say. Because sometimes love, or the statement I love you, can mean other things. Uh, Sometimes a guy will say, I love you, because he wants sex. So if he were to really say it straight out, he would say, I want sex. Um, Sometimes people will say, I love you, in the hopes that they have found the person who will make them happy because they've been in relationships all their lives that didn't make them happy. Maybe they didn't have a good experience growing up. Maybe they've been some bad love relationships. And so, you know, a couple will kind of like get together and before long somebody will say, I love you in the hopes that maybe this might be the right person. When I was a little kid, there was a cartoon. <clears throat> a little duck was an orphan duck. And all I can remember about the cartoon was a little duck walked around to anybody that he came across and he said, are you my mother? <laughs> And I think there are people that kind of like go into the dating scene thinking, are you the one person in the world who can make me happy? And, and if he or she feels like that might be the case, then at some point I going to come the expression, I love you. Uh, could just be somebody saying, I think we've reached the place where we got something serious going on here. So uh, we better like nail, nail this deal down. And so I'm going to say, I love you. Hopefully, though, it was really meant, I love you. And, and love has power. Love has great power. And even people who aren't religious or Christ followers or uh, any, 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 maybe not even spiritual at all, they understand the power of love, the power of love. <clears throat> but we got something going on in our culture today. Um, I think, you know, I'm not the first one to tell you this, but 52% of marriages in our country end in divorce. And for those of us who have friends who are unhappily married, or it could be that you're unhappily married, and there's not any love in your relationship, you think about this for a moment. If 52% of marriages end in divorce, and there are a whole lot of loveless marriages, then we're struggling on this issue of love, aren't we? Because I'm going to guess that 99.9% of these couples who are having trouble or have broken up already, at some point, one person, if not both people, looked at the other person and admit it from their hearts and said, I love you, I love you. Oh, what causes relationships to break apart? A lot of reasons. But chances are, just as the first statement that made people know it was serious was, I love you, often the beginning of the end is when somebody looks at his wife or her husband or the person that they've been with for a while and says, I don't love you anymore. I don't love you anymore. So what's that all about? Yeah, the first song that was going through my head <clears throat> was the old Huey Lewis song, The Power of Love. The song that I really can't get out of my head is a foreigner song that says, I want to know what love is. Because I, I think if there, ever was, if there ever was a statement from the culture at large that was really a heartfelt statement, I mean, a, a grasping, thirsting statement, if there ever was that statement, it would be that, that line from that foreigner song, I want to know what love is. Because it, it drives us crazy, doesn't it? I mean, you say, I love you, but then later on, it's, I don't love you anymore. I can remember 
a really old song in which the lyrics said, the feeling's gone and I just can't get it back. What is love? What is love? Do you know if you have it? Do, do you know <clears throat> if you're single and you're trying to find your life partner, would you recognize it if you saw it? I want to know what love is, and I think you want to know what it is too. But as our series has indicated, so much of the things that we really need to know about love and sex are not widely known. They're secrets. And so today, our secret is what love is. We're going to talk for a little while about what love is, to know if you have it or to know if the person that you're with or that you're about to commit your life to has it for you. What is love? I'm about to do something that I hate. When I hear a minister speak, this just drives me nuts, and I'm about to do it myself. Isn't that terrible? I mean, if I were sitting out there in the audience right now, I would groan. I would think, well, because usually when a, when a preacher talks about, you know, Greek or Hebrew words, that's usually to show you that he went to seminary, paid good money to go to class. But as you know, the Bible was not written in English. The first half of it, the old Testament was written in Hebrew, and New Testament was largely written in Greek. So sometimes we have a hard time getting the message over into English from the words the Bible uses. And so what I'd like to do right now is uh, I'd like to walk you through five words that could be translated into our English word love. And I think that when I get through, you'll understand why I'm taking the time to do this. Because in our culture today, we're seizing on to love with Not the same meaning that God has when he uses the word love. So let's just start this off. Let me start from the bottom, and we'll work up to the most noble. The the fifth word is epithemia, which means just hot desire. A lot of the songs that we listen to, a lot of the stuff that we see on television or the media, maybe even stuff that happens and plays out in our lives, when it gets right down to it, when we say, I love you, what we mean is, I desire you. And there's nothing wrong with that. In the right context, you know, that kind of hot passion, you know, if you're married, man, you need that. But it is like fire. If it's inside the stove, it'll cook the food and warm the house. You get it outside, and it'll burn the house down, as some of us have experienced. Epithemia is just, I'm hot for you. I desire you. The next love up is, uh, the next word is um, eros. Eros means romance. It's like, you know, dating and going to the movie and going out to eat and just having a good time being in each other's company and bringing flowers and having, you know, having your favorite song and all that. That's, that's romance. And romance is great. It's really important. And, um, and the third, third word for love is the word storge. If you brought that into English characters, it'd be S-T-O-R-G-E, storge. A storge means um, a feeling of Good feeling when I'm around people I love. Natural love is actually what it means. My dog has storge for me. <laughs> he is neurotic. Morales is in starting points right now, so I, she's not in here. I can say this. The dog is just neurotic. But one thing I, I love about Fred is that Fred loves me. I mean, I can walk into the house, and that, he's just a little miniature poodle, and that little cottontail of his will just go like this. And he'll just jump all over me. Now, I think about this sometimes. Why does another part of God's creation who cannot speak to me, and he doesn't understand English, why does he love me? Because God has placed in our world a natural affection. It's just natural for parents to love their children and children to love their parents. It's just natural for friends to love friends. And isn't it true most of the time that unless somebody gives us real cause not to like them, we're pretty much okay with them? 
That's called natural love, storge. Now, when God was explaining psychopaths in the first century, he used the term astorge with the letter A being a negative before that, which is to say these people were without natural affection. And when you look at people who have committed heinous crimes, that's what they're missing. They don't have that sense of natural affection. The fourth word that we have for love is a word that you may recognize even in its Greek form, and that is the word philos, P-H-I-L-O-S, or phileo, P-H-I-L-E-O, which simply means brotherly love or friendly love. If you have a friend, you have phileo for that friend. You you feel good toward them, and they mean something to you, and you're there for them, and they're there for you, and you enjoy doing things together. And if that person's in trouble, you will help them. It is a very noble kind of love. But the, the honest truth about all four kinds of those loves is that any of those can disappear. I mean, you know, people can be hot for each other one day, and then after a while, they just kind of like lose it, and they're looking at somebody else. And romance, a lot of you ladies could say, that disappears too. And storge. You know, even though we have that natural feeling for each other, I, I've seen people that did have a natural love. I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I met a very wealthy guy one time who told me, and he was a Christ follower, he told me my adult son and I have not spoken to each other for eight years, and you could just see the anger and the distance in his face when he said that. And yeah, even friendships break up. I guess all of us who've lived any length of time can say, there was someone who used to be my friend, but he's not my friend anymore. She's not my friend anymore. So God wanted a word that would go way beyond all those things. And in fact, this is a word that almost became specific to the Christian church. And this is the word that the Bible uses when it talks about love. And it is the word agape, agape. And it's so much higher than the other kinds of love. And when God tells husbands to love their wives, he's using the term agape. When, and when, when, when we're told to love one another, it is agape. And what's really interesting about all this is that when Jesus talked to his disciples, he said, you know, there's something that the whole world will know that you're my followers if you have this. It wasn't affiliation with a particular denomination. Nor was it they knew the Bible better than anybody else. This is what Jesus said in John's Gospel, chapter 13, right before he was crucified. He looked at his disciples and he said, All the world will know that you belong to me by your love. And candidly, and this is not what I plan to talk about today, but in large, to a large extent, the evangelical church in America is not held in the highest regard. Why is it? Because we fought with people and we fought with each other. Jesus said, the world will know that we belong to Jesus by our love. So now I want to take you to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. There are many people who believe this is the greatest chapter in the Bible because it's all about what love is. Foreigner said, I want to know what love is. Well, the whole chapter is dedicated to telling us what agape love is. Let me give you the context. It's not given to us in the context of a man-woman relationship, even though there are some aspects of this that will translate. It was given to us in the context of a church that was struggling, the church at Corinth. And these people, even though they were Christ followers, they were a mess, self-centered. And and they were like, (laughs) Paul talks to them. He said, you know, like every time you get together to worship, it's like everybody wants to shine. It was like a talent show. 
He said, everybody's got a song, everybody's got a scripture to read, everybody's got a talk they want to give, and they were fighting with each other because the question was going to be, who is in control here? And what was happening, they had distorted, I mean, for some of you, you may not recognize the term spiritual gift. Simply what that means is enablements that God gives every one of us to do his ministry. I mean, God left us here to build the kingdom, and every one of us has gifts. And by the way, I want to say this to every new springer and every Christ follower who might not be a new springer who's here today. God has given every one of us talents in order to accomplish great things for the kingdom, and these are called spiritual gifts. But the problem with the church at Corinth was they were all messed up on gifts. And what they were saying was, I need to be in control because my gift is better than your gift. I should be in control because I'm more talented than you are. I should be in control because I'm smarter than you are. I should be in control because I work harder here than you work. I should be the one to get to be in control. And by the way, When we talk about what kills marriages today, at the bottom of it is conflict. And at the bottom of our conflict is who is going to be in control in this relationship. And just like the church at Corinth, you know, oftentimes we we never articulate these things, but we feel them. We say to ourselves, I should be in control of this relationship because I'm smarter. I should be in control of this relationship because I'm more talented. I should be the one who is setting the dials because I put more into this marriage than my wife does or my husband does. And so Paul wrote this chapter, God gave him this chapter to write, and it's really powerful. Now, you know, of course, it was written in the context of a church, but I want you to hear it in the context of a relationship. He said, if I had the gift of being able to speak another language without learning them, well, that'd be something, wouldn't it? And could speak in every language, every language there is in heaven and all of earth, but didn't love others. I would be just making noise. If I had the gift of prophecy and knew all about what's going to happen in the future and knew everything about everything but didn't love others, what good would it do? Even if I had the gift of faith so that I could speak to a mountain and make it move, I would still be worth nothing at all without love. If I gave everything I have to the poor people and I were burned alive for preaching the gospel but didn't love others, it would make me of no value whatever. Man, I've heard this so many times. Mark, I should be the leader in my home. I should be able to call the shots because I know the Bible better. I'm more spiritual. I'm more talented. I'm more gifted. I'm stronger. I'm smarter. I put more. I invest more than the other person. And yeah, here's what Paul is saying. He's saying that if you gave your body to be burned, but if you didn't have love, it would be like you didn't even exist. It'd be like you're a zero. And now he goes into what love is. And I just want to read these to you this morning. Verse 4. Love is very patient and kind. Never jealous or envious. Never boastful or proud. Never haughty or selfish or rude. Love does not demand its own way. It is not irritable or touchy. It does not hold grudges and will hardly even notice when others do it wrong. It is never glad about injustice but rejoices whenever truth wins out. If you love someone, you will be loyal to him no matter what the cost. You will always believe in him, always expect the best of him, always stand your ground in defending him. We'll talk about each one of those things in just a moment real quickly. But before I get there, can I tell you that one of the things that breaks my heart sometimes is I'm listening to someone talk about maybe a a husband who's treating them really badly, maybe even abusive. And I've heard really, really wonderful women say, Mark, 
I think deep down inside, he really loves me. Or I think, even though she yells and screams and fights with me all the time, I think deep down inside, she loves me. Do you know what we just read? God is saying, you don't have to look deep. All these things come to the surface. Love is not this sort of nebulous, intangible feeling that comes and goes like a head cold. God is saying this is what love is. You can spot it. And so what I'd like to do right now is just walk you through the things that God talks about when he talks about love. Let's just look at this list of about 14 things here. Number one, love is patient. That means long-suffering. By the way, what's interesting about this, notice that love isn't, you know, you say, well, if my husband treats me right, I'll love him. Well, long-suffering means somebody's suffering, right? Number two, love is kind. It means here love makes itself useful or helpful. But by the way, how many of our relationships would be transformed if we just treated each other kindly? I was reading a study, a joint study conducted by the University of Kansas and I think Catholic University. And what they did, they studied couples at the beginning of their relationships and they studied couples at the end. And they looked at the ones that would stay married and the ones that would break up. And at the beginning before any of them had any idea of breaking up, they evaluated what they said to each other. And for the couples that would eventually stay together, and I'm going to throw some numbers at you, and I hope I don't confuse the picture here and get them wrong, but for the couples that would eventually stay together, they would say 95 positive things for every five negative. The couples that would break up would say 90 positive things to 10 negative things. But eventually those that would break up would get to the place where they would say five negative things for every one positive thing. Isn't that interesting, though, that at the beginning there was just a shade of difference? Kindness is so important. Love is kind. You say, Mark, I scream at my kids, but I love them. I scream at my wife, but I love her. I threaten my family, but I love them. (laughs) Love is kind. Number three. Love is never envious or jealous. It means that, you know, you're not just trying to get your own way in the relationship. Number four, love is never proud, boastful, or haughty. The Greek word means blown up. If you've ever seen one of these fish, a blowfish, you know, whatever that gets full of air, that's what God is saying. Love doesn't do that. Number five, love is never selfish or rude, which means it doesn't act unbecoming. Number six, love does not demand its own way. That word there means plot to get its way. Love does not scheme in order to get an advantage. The next one, number seven, love is not irritable or touchy. The word means to exasperate, to just keep picking and picking and picking and picking until there's a fight. Number eight, love doesn't hold grudges. <laughs> Greek word there means inventory. You know, some people like have an inventory. They have a back room where they remember every bad thing that anybody's ever said to them. No inventory. Number nine, love is never glad about injustice. Now, guys, I want to stop here and talk about this one for a moment. Because I had to wonder exactly what the Bible is talking about. Love does not rejoice in injustice. And I thought, I don't think most married people rejoice in injustice. But then when I started thinking about what I've heard through the years, I realized that many do. It means I'm glad because I've got the advantage here. Something has happened in our relationship that makes me feel like I have the upper hand. And I'm going to use it, and I'm going to use it, and I'm going to use it. Love does not rejoice when things are not fair. 
Let's do the next one. Number 10, love is always loyal what, no matter what the cost. The word loyal there means like to build a roof over something, like to hide something. And obviously it doesn't mean hiding abuse or some sort of sexual misconduct. It's not talking about that at all. It's just talking about the normal stuff. And by the way, nothing will make you as vulnerable as being in a day-to-day marriage relationship with somebody. Because here's the deal. When you're dating, you can look your best. You can be your best. But, you know, when you start being in the same house with somebody, they spot your flaws and flaws and flaws and weaknesses. And by the way, one of the worst things you can ever do, guys, is to expose your wife's flaws to somebody else. Because if she finds out you've been laughing with the guys where you work about her appearance or something that she did wrong or how your dumb wife messes thing up every time, if she ever finds that out, and by the way, it's a sin to do it in the first place, but if she ever finds that out, that will break her heart. Gals? If you get on the phone and you talk to your mother about some foolish thing that your husband did and you laugh and make jokes at his expense, that's a sin against heaven. But let me tell you something. If he ever finds out about it, your relationship will never be the same again. Love doesn't do that. Love puts a roof over it. I have a feeling we could talk more about that. Number 11. Love always believes. The Greek word there means to like put credit in somebody's account. If you love somebody, you always believe in them. Number 12, love always expects the best. You know, (laughs) one of the things that breaks my heart sometimes when I listen to parents talk to kids is I hear them say things that are so negative and hurtful. You're never going to be worth anything. You're never going to be a success. You know, if you love somebody, if you love your kids... You believe in them when nobody else does. You believe in them when they get that report card that says they've got to repeat the same grade over again. If you love a man, if you love a man, you still believe in him when he loses his job. If you love a woman, you still believe in her no matter what happens. Because that's what love does. Love expects the best. And then number 13, love defends. You know, when you love somebody and they're attacked, you just can't sit there and watch that happen. When you love somebody, you know, and they start ragging on the person you love, you can't just sit. I mean, if you have a friend and you're, you know, you're with other people and they start talking about your friend and, you know, and you're two-faced and you won't stand up for your friend, you don't love that person. You love yourself. Love defends But remember what I said to you before I get to number 14? Remember what I said about the four kinds of love before you get to the top, how that those can fall apart? Here's what God says about true love, agape love. Love stays. Love stays. Wow, somebody could say, well, Mark, that's a tall hill to climb. I'm not sure I can ever rise to that level of love. Let me tell you why. Guys, let me just please tell you this. If you ever listen to a preacher in your life, please listen for the next three minutes. The only way you can have this kind of love is to accept the love that God has for you. Do you know where this love started? The Bible says God loved his son Jesus with this kind of love. And then God loved the world with this kind of love. And now he tells us to love each other 
Let's go back over that list, a few of those things, and think about it. Because if love is what the Bible defines it as, then then God is patient with me because the Bible says God loves me and he loves you. God is patient. God is kind. He's never proud. He's never selfish or rude. God does not demand his own way. God doesn't hold grudges. God is always loyal to us no matter what. God always believes in us. And God stays. Do you know why so many of us have trouble loving other people? Because we have never accepted God's love. We hear it week in and week out that God loves us, but we really don't believe it. Not really. But that's what God says. That he, he, love, he loves us to the place that he will never leave us. I mean, didn't Jesus say that? I will never leave you nor forsake you. Didn't he tell us that he would forgive us of all our sins and wash our sins away and never hold them against us again? That's the kind of love that God has for us. And if we accept that and receive it, what happens? There's a freedom that happens in our life, and for the first time, we're actually able to love somebody else. I'm going to do something (laughs) that I didn't do last night, and and nobody may want to do this. It's kind of a spontaneous thing. But four years ago, I preached a message about this, and I did something that was kind of freaky. I wrote out some marriage vows based on 1 Corinthians 13. And we invited people, if they wanted to renew their vows that day, to renew their vows with, um, with this text, with these vows. And since then, we've had requests for them from all over the country. And maybe nobody will want to do this today. And, and, you know, we talk about renewing vows sometimes on the 50th anniversary or or the 25th anniversary. But I think it's something that we ought to do all the time. And so what I'm going to ask you to do today, I don't know if anybody wants to do this or not, but would you just stand with me for a moment all together throughout the congregation? And maybe no one will want to do this. Maybe someone will. But after hearing this today, if you're saying, I want the kind of marriage that God wants me to have, and today, I'd like to renew our vows. If you're a husband and wife here today, if you want to, if you want to renew your vows, would you just slip out and come here and stand right before me here? Just, you can just grab your wife, grab your husband if you want to do this. I'm going to give you time because I see some of you moving from the balcony and galleries. You guys can just come up closer if you want to. Just This is totally informal. Yeah. Just be where you can hold on to your wife or husband, okay? Okay, now this is going to require a little bit of repositioning maybe but I want to get you to a place where you can like reach out and hold on to your wife or husband and where you can look at them eye to eye okay yeah 
I'd like for every man to repeat after me. For every man now, would you just repeat these things? And I'll read them slowly so you can mean them from your heart. Here we go, guys. By the grace of God's Holy Spirit, I will be patient and kind to you. Because I love you, I won't demand my own way or hold past faults against you. I will be loyal to you, always faithful from my heart. I will always believe the best about you. I will always defend you. My love for you will never end. Ladies, this is your turn. By the grace of God's Holy Spirit, I will be patient and kind to you. Because I love you, I won't demand my own way or hold past faults against you. I will be loyal to you, always faithful from my heart. I will always believe the best about you. I will always defend you. My love for you will never end. Let's pray. Father, you've heard these vows. And I pray that you will help because we started off by saying by the grace of God's Holy Spirit, which means we can't do what we promised by ourselves. We've just written a check that we can't cash. But your Holy Spirit can help us. And thank you for these who are willing to take the step of faith. And Father, I pray for everyone who's watching and some of us are single and some of us are in relationships and marriage relationships that maybe are just not quite ready for this moment. But we know that you love us and you care for us. And I pray that you'll help all of us throughout this building to grow in our love for you and for each other. In Jesus' name. It's awesome, guys. I'm going to give you a minute to get back to your seats, and then we'll close the service. You know, I haven't given away the secrets uh, until we get here, but I'm going to do something. I'm going to break my own rule while everybody's getting back their seats, and um, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to talk about next week because I want to give you a chance to invite friends to be part of this. Um, (laughs) We're going to be talking about sexual healing next week because a lot of stuff just goes wrong in our lives, and we wonder, can God forgive me. But the cool thing about God is God not only wants to forgive us, but God wants to give us healing for all the things that have gone wrong. So I want to give you a heads up about that next week where you can invite friends and be part of this, this very special weekend as we talk about sexual healing. And one more thing I want to do before we close out the service is I want to give you a chance. If you've never invited Christ to come into your life, I want to give you a chance to do that because here's the deal. We really, really can't love each other until we accept Christ's love. The Bible says this, God loved us so much that he gave his son Jesus to die for our sins. And that uh, when he died on the cross, his blood washed away every sin, past, present, and future. 
And all we have to do is reach out and accept his love. Here's what Scripture says. Whoever, Romans 10, 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you've never called on him, I want to give you a chance to do that. Just like these people vowed their love a few moments ago. That was free. You know, no one made them do it. It was free. And what I want to encourage you to do today, if you've never reached out by faith to receive Jesus, that you'll do that right now. I'm going to pray a prayer. And just like these couples repeat after me, if you mean this from your heart, you can repeat this prayer. Not to me, but to God. And so here we go. If you've never received Christ, here's your chance. Jesus, I believe you died to pay for my sins. I believe you rose from your grave. Would you forgive me and save me? In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I know that was awfully quick. And you may say, well, Mark, I really don't understand what I've done. We've prepared a packet to help you understand that. It's this black packet. It's got some DVDs and great information. Totally free. will not cost you anything. If you prayed to receive Christ today, would you take the part of your worship folder that's detachable and just write your name and address? If you'd like for me to mail this to you, you can drop it in the boxes by the back doors, the bottom of the stairs. You can drop it in the offering plate. But if you don't want to wait, you don't have to. Right up through the middle doors, there's two sections beyond the middle doors called Guest Services and New Spring Store. If you'll bring your card back there and say, hey, I prayed with Mark today, they will give you this and you can take it with you today. So again, don't forget sexual healing next week in the message. And then two weekends from today, we start a series called Running. It's one that I've been excited about for a whole year. Isn't it true that life has us moving faster than we've ever moved before? I mean, it's just like we're running so fast and you're are we really running in the right direction? We're going to go back to the book of Jonah, which is a strange but exciting book for four powerful messages called running. So I want to give you a heads up about that.